You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Well, how to buckaroos? It's springtime, and them foals are kicking, and the sun's coming up earlier and earlier, which only means one thing. Your dawn patrol's gonna have to start earlier, too. Let's face it, the only thing better than first tracks is first gram. That's right. Your sick shit should be the first thing them losers have stayed up all night binge-watching Stranger Things, despite the fact that it's lost most of the cachet of the first season see on the morning Instagram feed. Damn, they'll think. Sending V3 at 4am? That is sick. Well, Black Diamond has everything you need for a proper Dawn Patrol mission. Headlamps to light the hallway as you sneak out, the perfect layering system to peel when you start to get as moist as a newborn lamb. They got ski gear for skiers who aren't over it yet, and climbing gear for overstoked climbers like us. And even bouldering pads, because truth is, morning Mountain Dew sounds great if you want to punch your hand through a car window, but it sucks for actual pebble wrestling. So let Black Diamond support your morning mania and that inevitable drop in productivity by 1 p.m., because they literally make every damn thing a climber needs, except the caffeine. Wake up and head over to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop for all the gear you need on your next dawn patrol. And you know, Black Diamond loves this damn podcast. The high-flying monsters of Sportiva Rock Shoe lineup return this weekend to your local crag for the Enormacast Back to Spring Monster Sending Season. Come see the La Sportiva Solution lead the charge as the greatest sport climbing and bouldering beast of all time. Or watch as the 10,000 horsepower Testarossa burns down your project. The new and improved Katana Lace-Up will blow your mind and don't be fooled by the dainty Sportiva mantra. It's smearing and grabbing power plays rough with those gym holds. Come for the leather, but stay for the midfield halftime show of the new Squama Vegan, all the heft without the harm. Sportiva has it all, from jamming, to smearing, to edging, to hooking. This Sunday and every Sunday from here to eternity. Get your feet in any of these fueled up high octane climbing shoes at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. And crush your project! <coughs> Sportiva.com. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the. Uh... The Normo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold that out. Out. I'll say, you really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show.
Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Galoose. It is April 13th, 2023, about 10.30 p.m. here in Colorado, and this is episode 261 of the Enormacast, a conversation with boulderer, highball boulderer, Timmy Kang, or T. Kang, as I like to call him when he can't hear me. Only inside my head, really. It's the first time it's come out of my mouth. Timmy Kang on the show, young boulderer, and we get into the deep nitty-gritty of highball bouldering on this show. Very excited to share this one with you. He seems to be a man of infinite stoke. But first, it's business time. I have some business. Next week here in Carbondale, Colorado, is the Five Point Film Festival, the 20th to the 23rd of April. If you happen to be in Colorado or in the region, swinging through. Stop by. It's a great weekend of films, lots of other events, and I'm involved this year once again. On Saturday morning, there will be a free screening of my friend Andrew Bisharat's sender film, Resistance Climbing, a film about sort of the subversive and revolutionary act of climbing in Palestine. Pretty cool, pretty heavy stuff. And the cool thing is even if you've seen this at Real Rock already. This is going to be a pretty special screening because we have some great guests. Tim Bruns is going to be there. He's the guy that uh, started Bolton Roots in Palestine, started a gym there, kind of helped create a local scene. And also, Five Point has wrangled a visa for Ferris Abugash, who's in the film as well. One of the Palestinian climbers is going to be here. I think he's the guy that learns tango, if you've seen the film. Anyway, it's going to be an awesome panel after the film. I'm going to moderate between Tim and Andrew and Ferris. So it's going to be a really special screening, unlike anything you've seen if you've already watched Real Rock. So come check that out. It's free. You do need to register for it so they can make sure they have the seating that they want. And you can find that all at fivepoint.org. And that's the number fivepoint.org. Also, my old band's gotten back together to play a set later that afternoon on Saturday, 4 to 6. Also free. Free stuff on a Saturday in Carbondale. Come get it. Or come to the whole festival too and buy some tickets or whatever you got to do. Good fun way to see Carbondale. Great little town. The jewel of the Roaring Fork. All right, let's get to Timmy Kang. Timmy Kang, rare bouldering spot here on the Enormacast. I know, I know, it's a little bit lacking over here, but I sure am glad I hooked up with Timmy. Super fun to talk to. And Tim just finished a project, a project that his life as a climber was headed towards for a long time, and that is doing all five of the biggest, baddest highballs in Bishop in a day. Any one of these things is a career moment for a boulderer, and uh, he works up to doing them in a day, and we talk about that quite a bit on the podcast because I'm really curious about highball bouldering. It's a very specific art. It's a very specific part of bouldering, and it only draws a few people. I kind of wanted to use that to find out what makes Timmy tick. And I think we got there, actually. I think we, we got a few little revelations out of this one. There's a film coming out about this project that Tim completed. It's called Focus. The premiere is actually going to be in a couple days, so most of you won't hear this in time, but in case you do, it's in Salt Lake City. You can go over to Timmy's Instagram for details, and that's Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. You'll have to Google it. It's T-I-I-M-M-A-A-A-Y-Y-Y. If you do Google Timmy Kang, 
Make sure and put Climber on there because apparently there's a famous Tim Kang actor, first guy that comes up in most of the hits. I'm sure the film Focus will be available pretty soon from Black Diamond's channels. And since you'll be in the future and it will be in the past, you can probably just click over and go see it. I don't know if you want to do that before or after the interview. It's not like we spoil it in here. Dude lives, does not crater. But go see it. It's really good. It's really gripping. Timmy and his friends made it, so I know they'd appreciate you checking it out. All right, let's get to it. An interview with highball boulderer and fellow podcaster, Timmy Kang. I like have a notoriously weak background in bouldering, partially because I suck at it. I'm I'm fully uh, willing to admit that. But you know, I just s- s- sort of skipped it. Although interestingly, I I started climbing a horse tooth reservoir. So I mean, it was like a old time bouldering capital. Damn. Um, but yeah, I mean, I bouldered, but we didn't have yeah, pads. Yeah. You know, like literally, the culture it was is that, that long. It's ago. so different. Yeah, yeah people yeah. nowadays are just boulders. You know, like yeah. they, they don't do any other form of climbing they're just boulders you know so it's a completely different culture and i yeah i definitely get it um but one of the things we're really here to talk about is um highballing actually you know i I just assume like you know not bury the lead and cut right to it um because i have a lot of questions about it and that's where where we're going to get a little elementary for like the hardcore bouldering scene but it's a fascinating discipline in bouldering it's probably one that as much puts its foot into you know, roped climbing as, as kind of any any of the other disciplines within bouldering. Right. Um, you know, when you've looked at these old roots and the grit and some of this stuff, they practically were what you guys now would consider highballs, this this right. sort of um, bouldering on a rope, don't fall kind of mentality. So let's just talk about you as someone who's attracted to that side of the sport. Um, we've got this film coming out that's where you, you send five of the biggest, most notorious highballs in in uh bishop in a day but that you know was the culmination of a fascination you must have began a long time ago so can we talk a little bit about that yeah i mean so i started climbing in 2012 um 23 now so it's been almost 11 years since i've been climbing and i went to bishop my very first trip uh outdoor climbing pretty much anywhere went to like a local rock in the bay area which is where i grew up um but bishop was the first place i went to with my whole climbing team at planet granite um my coach was there as bunch of strong stoked people who've been going to bishop for a long time and that was my first experience seeing boulders and i was just blown away how tall these boulders were um and there was a history to them a a really big history and just seeing a lot of pictures in magazines and i was just drawn towards it started asking my coach a lot of questions and he started to kind of see that i was asking questions about highball specifically i think towards the end of that first trip which was about two weeks long i kind of just asked him i was like would you be supportive if i had like done this and he's like Timmy, like I'm supportive of whatever you want to do, but not on the trip that I'm supervising you on. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I'm so, taking kids into the into the backcountry and climbing, and yeah, you you sort of have to come to an agreement. Yeah, um, that this is a little bit different than just you out screwing around by yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like 13, 14 uh, years old, and now I understand. I'm like, I would never take anyone, and even though I understand it, and if I'd watched them do all the prep, you know, I would never, I would never be comfortable putting the pads down and being like, all right, you got this. Yeah, I'd totally. watch from afar and be like, yeah, good luck, you know, in the future. And I kind of just respected that 
mentality for somebody else watching. And then that's kind of when I started, I think when I was 16, I started going to Bishop by myself uh, with, with my friends, but started driving myself. So I was like, okay, no supervision. I'll just figure out what I want to do. My mom also started climbing right when I started climbing. She didn't really know what was going on, but she was very supportive of my climbing. And, you know, I obviously loved it and, you know, worked hard and tried to be strong. And uh, there was, I decided to do footprints that year. And she saw a picture of it afterward and kind of just asked me what was up with it. And that was kind of my first actual conversation with somebody asking why I wanted wanted to highball. At that time, uh, that day, four other people ended up doing footprints. So it felt kind of like a normal session that day. People were definitely gripped out of their minds. And, you know, it was a pretty serious moment. Um, But for me, it was pretty nonchalant. Like it was just something that I wanted to do. Footprints was pretty easy for, you know, I think like that's something that tall that I wanted to do. Um, And then, yeah, from there, I just caught the bug. I was like, this is insane. It's just pure euphoria climbing, you know, like climbing for one growing up was always about doing harder moves and testing my limits and pushing myself and seeing what I could do. But highballing was this kind of beautiful movement that was kind of focused on your mastery of it and understanding as much as you can do and trying to output that in one try. You know, if you if you fell, you died. And, you know, I mean, usually I would say I, people fall in on highballs and bishop all the time and walked away. But, you know, my my mentality is that if I had fallen, I just died. So I, I kind of saw a little bit more as free soloing. I didn't really plan on falling, especially on footprints. That fall would not be very good. Just cheese grate your way down. <laughs> it's a slab. So yeah. Um, but yeah, just kind of transitioning, you know, and, and not to say after I did my first couple highballs, I was definitely interested in doing harder climbs and pushing my limits still. You know, climbing to me was still the same thing. But for some reason, every time I went back to Bishop, it was like, oh, man, there's still this feeling of doing highballs and feeling the mastery and feeling, you know, feeling fear, true fear, and still trying to overcome that. Uh, that was a really interesting journey that I had kind of stepped onto, I think, yeah, when I was about 16. That's amazing. I mean, you know, I, I like to do a lot of, you know, pop psychology on this thing or at least sort of dig around because I'm I'm curious about really just what makes people climbers. You know, what out of the population, you know, do people get hooked into it and then and then it kind of like a pyramid starts where a lot of people get hooked into kind of the more sedate types of climbing and then, you know, bigger climbs you lose a lot of people's interest and, you know, finally end up at sort of a a point where, you know, people who go out there to, you know, do things that are clearly risky, they understand the risks and they do them anyways, is sort of this, uh, you know, I don't know, it's kind of rarefied air and, and, you know, for better or worse climbing, at least the climbing kind of community and world that I tread in still reveres these people. We may like shake our heads literally, or, you know, roll our eyes back and be like, oh man, I don't know about that. But, you know, we still sort of revere this kind of part of climbing and i and i think it's because of almost like this weird warrior thing that's involved mm-hmm. in it or we you know we we the same way we review a, a samurai or something like that it's like this mental focus is almost more interesting to a lot of us than than physical mastery so you know can you talk a little bit about about that like what part of you you know came up to be a 16 year old that maybe hooked his jumper cables to this feeling, this, you know, this, this euphoria or fear, why you didn't run away from the fear, but you ran towards it, so to speak. Man, that's an interesting um, question. That's definitely an interesting reflection for myself as well. Um, And because I mean, I had an interesting trajectory of life as well. I moved around a lot as a kid, my parents, you know, divorced, you know, had the usual just I had to figure out life 
uh, kind of actively. I, I moved around basically every year of my school life until I was mm-hmm. in third grade. And then from there, I still moved around a lot when I moved to the Bay Area because my mom was kind of looking for a place to live and we were broke and, you know, had to had to struggle. And uh, I had an older brother as well who kind of struggled with that moving and, you know, didn't really make new friends all the time. He was really sappy about it and just like, oh, I hate moving, like I hate making new friends and kind of observed that growing up and and this is very far away from climbing, but, no, you know, kind of tied into the show's all about, dude. It was- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it really tied into my lifestyle with with climbing, you know, it just right. basically throughout all of that stuff, I observed what made somebody unhappy and what made people happy and, you know, just making all the choices towards what made me feel the happiest, even if it was uncomfortable, just always did that since I was a kid. So when I started climbing, and I played other sports growing up, but I started climbing when I was 13, luckily found it. And I got into when I was like 10 or 11, I started getting into skateboarding and like parkour stuff. And then I found climbing. And I was like, okay, climbing is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And like, I was just getting into high school. I was pretty smart as a middle schooler. I was in advanced classes and whatever. I was playing basketball. I made the freshman year team. And then um, nothing mattered anymore when I started climbing. And climbing was the place that I found expression and, you know, a place to challenge myself and to seek discomfort and just always go for it. It was like that day one climbing. And then, of course, these obvious challenges kind of come into place. I'm like, oh, dude, like no one else is doing these things. I got to do them, you know, or a far less amount of the mm-hmm. society in climbing is doing these things. And but it's such an obvious it's an obvious challenge to rise up to, you know, and, and you can make a choice about it. It's not so much like competition where you sign up for the competition and then you're told to do this dyno and you're like ah, i don't really want to do that no you got to do the dyno right it, that's <laughs> kind of a hard that's kind of a hard mentality as well sure. and i like doing that as well i'm a competitive rock climber that's that's what i've dedicated a lot of my last decade to but then also on top of that at the end of the season i go or at the end of the year i go to bishop and i do the other side of that where i'm allowed to make choices towards the climbs that i want to do and I just ask myself over and over again, what's the appropriate challenge here? What's going to make me uncomfortable in the ways that I want to do, you know, climbing? And what was interesting, too, is when I started doing my first highballs, I got a lot more of the people who texted me, DM me on Instagram, just like, you're an idiot. Like, don't do more than this. Like, you know, you're going to die, all this stuff. And as, as I got better and better, as I got stronger, as I was doing like harder things, like it was basically when I started doing Ambrosia and then Too Big to Flail, people were like, wow. Like you're impressive versus, you know, the language started to change towards what people Mm -hmm. notice. And that was just interesting for me to see. And I kind of crave proving people wrong in a sort of way as well, you know, and it just, um, I, uh, went through high school, was doing all the climbing stuff. And right when I was doing footprints, I actually was flunking out of high school and I was flunking out of high school, basically starting freshman year at the end of freshman year, I was just getting F's and D's and C's and I didn't have any good grades. And, you know, my mom didn't know about all of it because I was hiding my grades a lot and basically, by the time I got to junior year, um, I had my entire three years of high school. My GPA was about like 1.1, <laughs> it was horrendously bad. And then in senior year, I had so many failed credits that I wasn't going to graduate in time. And I had to talk with my counselors and they were like, well, you know, you're going to have to come back and take t- summer school and go back to school. Like after your senior year, I was like, I'm not doing that. So I went to a bunch of schools. Long story short, I ended up getting my GED because uh, that's something I was allowed to do. I didn't really know that. Um, and then I got my GED and basically stopped going to school. And then I started route setting. I started coaching at the gym. So I've been coaching since I was 17 as well. Um, and then that kind of kept, I kept internalizing what I wanted to be as a climber and what I wanted climbing to show me and what I wanted to, you know, be a part of every day for the rest of my life. And, uh, I would keep going back to Bishop and that's where I would find my answers. To be honest, I would go and compete and, you know, struggle like everybody else who competes unless you win. And, you know, and I still love competing. I still love, you know, 
discovering the mind and the, the mentality there. But I honestly just kept finding myself going back to Bishop and finding the answers of why I liked climbing. And I just kept pushing myself there. And all the things in my life kind of led to that. And um, I actually had one other thing that had a big, profound impact in my life. So one Bishop trip, um, my mom happened to be in Korea uh, for a couple of months and just left me and my brother home alone. And I just learned how to drive. Um, like, Because previously, I was driving my friend who was older than me. So it was okay to drive when I was 16. But then when I was 17, my mom went to Korea and I was driving by myself. I ended up going to, my, going to the Bishop by myself for the weekend. Um, and two of my friends joined. It took us 16 hours to drive there because all the passes were closed. So I just drove basically straight for 16 hours. And that was my first time driving that long. And then we showed up to Bishop, climbed that day, basically didn't sleep, climbed that day. And I wanted to get home by the end of the weekend. So I drove back that night and I crashed. I fell asleep on the road, drove on the other side of the highway. And it was like one in the morning. So no one was on the roads, luckily. And I've skid my car all the way. Luckily, it didn't flip or anything. I was driving like 80 miles an hour and I just hit a hit a pole on the side of the road. Car skids sideways, landed in a, in a bush. And basically, I felt like I should have died that moment. So everything else from that moment, I was like, okay, let's just take life a little bit more seriously. Let's live with purpose. And you know, every day means something. And every every little thing that I risk my life for means something a little bit extra, doesn't it? Um, and so even something like driving, it, you know, became a little bit more meaningful. Just think about it more. And I drive a lot nowadays. I drive, you know, a lot, long, long drives constantly. And so I think a lot about that stuff and just like wanting to make my life something that I am proud of and something that I, you know, go for. And if, if I died, you know, any of the times I did any of the highballs, it would have been worth it. It was fine. You know, like that I was, I was okay doing that, you know, because otherwise I would have died as a 17 year old driving up right. 395 anyway, you know? <laughs> so, God, it's yeah. interesting. It's like, I, I mean, I just had this metaphor in my head about waking up, right? Like you literally, mm -hmm. you really literally woke up because your car skidded off the road and you were sleeping. But, you know, I don't know, as kids, we can live so sort of instinctually and like moment to moment, you know, not caring about the future, the past, all these sorts of things. And it, it feels like maybe that was like part of the deal. Like, you know, it was somebody picked you up and slapped you and we're like, yeah, like, exactly. What are you up to, bro? Like, kind of exactly. Thing, That's exactly you know? what I felt like. <laughs> Right. And I had to reflect on that moment so many times. It's like, oh man, I'm you know, making decisions throughout my life and whatever happens, it's just I got to look back and be like, well, if I just got in the car and crashed tomorrow, would I be okay with the decision I made today? And, you know, whether it was choices towards bad things or choices towards good things, you know, mm -hmm. and going for the choices that are good things way more, you know, and going for them fully. And that's, that was a, a huge turning point in my life. And ever since then, I was eyeballing a lot. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's contrary, I suppose. Yeah. in some ways but uh but i mean i think within climbing we uh we accept those risks as being you know as long as there's something that are on the table that we're aware of and and we're making um a conscious choice towards them i, I don't think any climbers can fault that kind of that kind of awareness of what you're doing you know and and so many accidents and people you know end up tragically killed because they didn't understand what they were doing really mm. and um you know so i i i think we respect that again a, a sort of wide-eyed i know what's up i know what's going on here kind of a kind of a thing um but yeah it's it's pretty pretty interesting you know i i i wondered about that kid right there's a one little flash in the um in in the film there's like a little flash of you as a kid like you're sitting there with your hood oh, really? up and stuff <laughs> oh yeah it's at least the cut i saw right yeah it's just for a second and and you know the reason i do this show is it's more about you, the person, than it is always about the climbing, mm -hmm. right? As everybody listens, knows. And, and Ray, when I saw that, I was like, God, I wonder who that kid was. 
you know, and, and what, again, like what, you know, takes a, a kid who grew up in the city or whatever suburban part of the, of the Bay area, you know, and ends up there and then ends up on these highballs. So, um, thanks for that kind of insight that we just got on that yeah, stuff. Man. So, um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the project because I have a lot of questions about it. This idea of doing these five routes in a day, um, any one of them kind of, you know, would be sort of a lifetime tick for, for even a really good boulderer to play this game that you're playing with these highballs. So yeah, let's talk about the genesis of that and, and what, what and why, but let's just do like why or when it came to you and yeah, what, so- what it meant. It seems to be that I remember this wrong because my my best friend, Brennan Robinson, he's filmed and shot pretty much everything that I've done for the last 10 years. We, we started climbing together. He grew up in the Bay Area and uh, he's an incredible rock climber himself. And he filmed this project with Bobby McGee and Bobby edited it. Uh, Brennan directed Who's on whole, top of the boulder? Is that, um, that Bobby is. With the, okay. Yeah. Brennan, right. Brennan took the role of directing more and okay, took more cool. of the wider shots and more right. of the wider perspective. Um, so everything that you see, uh, drone shots are all his, I think all the kind of wider, wider shots and all the action shots up close are Bobby. Um, and we were just kind of curious about that, by the way. I mean, like, I was like, Bobby, are you cool? Like getting on the wall and like being cold and like, cause it was freezing during that oh, yeah, time. And he's got like his, his got like his little flappy, like pa- almost like old seventies painters pants on or yeah. something. I, I was totally like, God, that guy must be freezing. But then it also made me really nervous. Like yeah. having him that close to you made me really i don't know why and i yeah. know he's like your homie and there's like you yeah. know you guys have i actually didn't know bobby that well but we oh, had really? we, we did talk about that yeah that was that but was having him that close to you at the end of these roots like freaked me out a little yeah. actually the whole film freaked me out by the way um <laughs> yeah. i mean I, I just you know watching something like that and putting myself in a mood where i can empathize to the sense of like i have no idea how hard those things are but how hard they might be yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was intense. I mean, uh, uh, similar feelings to, to, you know, the, the traverse on free solo, right. When mm-hmm. I knew exactly how hard that was actually. Um, mm. and that freaked me out, but yeah, anyway, so back, yeah. back to, but, yeah, back to the genesis question, of, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically I think every time I kind of brought it up, Brennan was like, you talked about it earlier than you said you talked about it. And so what, in my eyes, the, the time that this project actually came to, um, cause I guess I had always thought about what an obvious long-term project and highballing would be. I don't always want to push, you know, the, the difficulty of moves is kind of what we talked about in the beginning of what's appealing about highballing in general. Right. And so I didn't want to just do the hardest highball that was out there. I wanted to have a mental challenge. Um, so I guess I did think about some sort of like link up and I maybe brought it up a couple years ago, but yeah, so my trajectory was I did footprints and then I did evolution direct another trip. And then I did, um, ambrosia just totally out of the blue i didn't mean to do ambrosia it was a rest day did it that night i just tried the moves on a rest day on the top then i tried the bottom boulder that night and then my friends were all there and just kind of egged me on to do it and then i did it that night so ambrosia was a total like freak of the moment thing and then uh too big to flail we kind of did a sponsored trip to go to bishop for a month to do too big to flail and that was kind of the first trip i had made an intention to do a highball and that was kind of scarier and that's kind of when the conversation came up about long term if we're going to do big projects and trips like this what would that look like and i was like well in the long term i think i'd probably just do a couple of these in a day and and i was thinking about that before i even done too big to flail but i was like probably you know doing something like too big to flail and i think that was even before i tried it and i remember wrapping down too big to flail for the first time and 
just like honestly just shitting my pants and being like dude what is going on like who does this who does who go, who climbs this without a rope this is ridiculous but i'd already committed to doing it so it was kind of interesting because i was like i want to do too big to flail but i had no idea what the climbing was like or the atmosphere of the climbing and i made that commitment anyway I ended up doing it uh maybe third session after after three full sessions of trying it uh just took a rest day and did it and then after that trip i was like all right let's just like slow down for a minute and see what is next because too big to flail was the big highball test piece in bishop and it still is probably the big highball test piece there's harder test pieces there but that's probably the most insecure the most insane feeling the most exposed highball you're ever going to get to be honest and so after that i was like pretty intrigued about doing it again but it was it was funny because that day that night we all partied and like hung out and i told brennan to his face i was like i'm never doing that type of thing again he was like oh thank god and the next day i was like i wonder about like a, a link up he was like shut up dude like <laughs> shut up don't don't bring this up and i was like but it would be so cool just to do all of these in succession right wouldn't it just be so cool and i just started thinking about like what it would feel like what it would look like and i'd also kind of that year made a decision to move to salt lake city to commit myself to make the national team the u.s team and do competitions and my whole year was consumed by competitions and coaching and you know my own content creation but in the back of my mind i was like but, you know, by the time I get to Bishop, I'm going to be trying highball link up. Like, that's what I'm going to be trying. So I had this interesting year over the last two years. Um, two years ago, I had this interesting year of just doing comps and training for them and getting better. And I basically had a really bad national team trials and a bad nationals. And I was like, well, you know, that goes, you know, that's my year. So I got to figure out what I'm doing for Bishop. And I started just seeing what the logistics would look like. And it was so like, it was so far away for me. I didn't think it was going to happen as soon as it happened. But I guess I just wanted to do it really quickly and honestly felt like I kind of rushed the experience because I did maybe three or four recon trips to go and even feel what it would feel like to, first of all, repeat these climbs because it's been almost six years since I've done some of them. So even getting back on Footprints, I kind of forgot. Even getting on Evolution Direct, I kind of forgot. Getting on Ambrosia, I definitely forgot and holds broke. So I was like, okay, shit, like we got to figure out everything again we have to figure out if we can even do these things again mentally and then we have to figure out how it feels to do some mileage and then do these things because that's really the scariest thing for me was doing these things kind of compromised because usually the process of highballing is you do the prep you do the prep you feel good you feel good you know everything and then you wait for the perfect moment right and if the perfect moment doesn't come then you don't do it you just wait you just rest and try it again tomorrow right the, the link up was a really interesting change because okay so you you know all these things you understand you've done the prep and then once you get started, you've already committed to the day. And that was the change, right? I mean, you watched, I actually haven't watched the movie yet, by the way. So I, I have no idea what the movie looks like. I don't really remember the day like too well. I just know what happened. Mm -hmm. And the day was terrible. Like, I mean, every, the snow, the wind, like how I felt, no, nothing told me that I should be doing these things. Nothing was perfect, but I just made a decision. And that was the point. That was the point. That was the reason why I came up with this project was to see if I was capable of making those decisions in the moment. I, I totally made the project with the intention to just try it and not go for it. But then as, you know, Black Diamond hit me up, you know, Adam hit me up and was like, oh, do we want to support you? And I was like, oh God, the pressure is coming. Like I kind of have to do it now, you know? And then. Yeah. It's it interesting because I have, I have on my notes right here, I say, I have the word filming and then I right next to it, I have the word pressure. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, Interesting. I just was speaking with Andrew Bishrat, whose sender film about Palestine just came out this weekend. Yeah. About that, like how at least having a, he was going to go there on his own and then having this film crew come, came just changed everything and, and how he had to make this decision. And 
it's interesting that I mean we're so, it's so ubiquitous now that someone like yourself in your position uh, as as a sponsored athlete, you know, is going to have cameras around. And bouldering was sort of the the first to like really hammer that hard because you know a lot of times logistically it's not that big a deal to shoot a boulder more so with these little tall ones. But yeah, I mean, I was just like, well, God, wouldn't it have been something else for him just to go out and do it? you know, and not have the dude at the top with his feet right next to your last hold. And like, you know, having to block that out was a real interesting concept I had in my head while I was watching you that as you got towards the top, undoubtedly, this person is in your frame and you're in your in your in like, I don't know what I'm really getting at. But yeah, um, the filming must have been a, a wild part of the challenge in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, you know, plus you have people counting on you even just the people there, let alone, you know, sponsors and things like that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the whole, that's the whole thing you're talking about was really interesting to me. This is the first, it was the first real sponsor trip, you know, like, I mean, BD picked me up as an athlete basically because of this. And then, you know, <laughs> it felt like my sponsorship was contingent on me doing this climb or this, this project. So it was it, not just your that, legs. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that's that's a ton of pressure. But then also my friend doesn't want to watch me fall. Brennan's watched right. me do almost all of these things and you know he's he's filming it and he I know he doesn't want to watch me fall. Um I know these guys don't necessarily understand the difficulty or the insecurity or the feeling of feeling insecure. They've never really watched big falls, so no one really knows, you know? And a big thing for me was yeah, doing these things by myself on a regular trip would have been way nicer and way more fun way more just, you know, for me. But climbing isn't necessarily about that. Bouldering, at least, is a community vibe. You know, everyone mm -hmm. drives off of each other and, you know, is fueled by each other. And when we do our best, everybody else is fueled even better. And that was an interesting concept I had in my head where, of course, it would have been better to do it by myself or hidden cameras or just like stationed cameras or whatever, you know, how Honnold did free solo and free rider. And by the way, that's just totally a different endeavor is a totally different mm -hmm. intensity and with the highballing because i'm used to doing that with my friends i wanted to keep it that way and i had a, i had really i had a lot of conversations with them even you know conversations when i was talking with the people at black diamond you know they were like who's gonna film with you are you okay with that is that comfortable and i was like yeah, yeah i want my friends there i just want my mm -hmm. friends there so we made right. a very specific trip i actually by the way was not supposed to do it the day i did it i was not supposed to do it that week i was supposed to do it in january i did it december 5th i think and the intention that trip was to go and do a bunch of test mileage just to get on the rope, set it all up and do some mock days where we did like, you know, kind of pretend mileage and seeing like how it may feel and then take the rope off in January. The problem was that the weather was really good and the vibes were awesome. So I, you know, brought my friend Zach Gala, Chris Kosser, and then some other homies. Uh, my girlfriend ended up flying out that weekend when I was going to do it. Um, but at first it was just a super chill group of my friends and a couple of them, it was their first times in Bishop. And Chris ended up doing a bunch of highballs himself for the first trip. He did footprints. That was his first highball ever. And just seeing his face, like I was up there, I did footprints as a warm up lap one of the days and seeing his face doing it. I was like, holy cow, that's like so real. It's so authentic. He's scared. He's having fun. He's focused. Like just watching somebody else do it kind of inspired me to be like, well, these are my friends. I want to do it now. I want to do it. Like the weather's great. I don't feel ready necessarily, but like this is, this is why I wanted to do it. So when we started talking that week, I was like, hey guys, like, you know, so Bobby and Brennan were talking about shots and I was like, well, let's talk about like the day because I think I want the day to happen. I kind of just sat them down. I was like, I kind of right. want to do it this trip. Are you guys all cool if we stay a little bit longer, extend the trip, just book the Airbnb longer. And we were all there for one week and I was like, maybe we just extend a couple days longer and just try to get it done. Like 
you know, there's a short weather window. Maybe we can do it. Uh, looked really good. And they're like, uh, okay. And then I was like, I want Bobby like on these shots. Cause Brendan was like, where do you want all these? Cause this is where the cameras can be. This is where we can do it. And I was like, well, what if Bobby was like right in front of me, like right there. And they were like, are you sure? Like, is that okay? Right. I was like, you know, I kind of want that direct intensity. I wanted him right next to me just to make it seem more real and just have mm-hmm. my friends actually there with me. And the intensity was there because I felt in control. I felt like I was going to do it. And if something went wrong, that's okay. You know, I'm already okay with something going wrong, but I'm going for it. And I wanted to feel supported going for it. So I kind of wanted Bobby. I, I kind of told Bobby where to be in a lot of these spots where I think that the best angles would have looked to show my actual perspective, you know, because in the end, you can't have my perspective, but there's camera angles that can show you much better perspectives. Um, that was kind of my hope. But like I said, I haven't watched the movie, so I have no idea. You how could have worn up. a helmet with a GoPro on it. I know I could have. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thought about that too. I was like, body no, cam no, would no, be no, sick. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Like a big old like you know Ekron Rock Petzl helmet, like from some right. you know from some guide class. With right. A freaking, yeah. Anyway, no. Um, yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's that's what kind of built up the atmosphere. But to kind of touch on pressure, that day was just the worst pressure I'd ever felt. But it wasn't pressure from the camera. It wasn't pressure from my friends anymore. It wasn't pressure from filming. It was just pressure for me wanting to do it. And it was kind mm-hmm. of crazy how how just jittered I felt and, you know, how honestly bad the day felt, but how bad I wanted to do it. And it felt like I kind of kind of kept pushing myself to do it instead of authentically letting it happen. But I had to constantly reflect and be like, isn't that what I expected this project to be? Isn't that isn't it supposed to feel hard? So I constantly just make, you know, bailed in my head and then I made the decision to keep going. I, I kept going back and forth between bailing and being like, we can just wait for next month. It's fine. We can wait and come back. And then also I was like, well, it's, it's I don't think it's ever going to feel better than this. It's never going to feel more comfortable. So let's just keep going. And that that was that pressure I felt the most, to, to be honest, more so than the filming. Yeah, there's one. I don't know which one it is, but uh, it's not too big to flail. But I don't know if they hammed it up for the film, but it like I'm like, geez, he seems a little... Like he's pretty amped up and maybe too amped up, you know. I think like, that was Ambrosia, maybe. <laughs> okay, maybe it was Ambrosia. I mean, hard moves at the top and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super gripping, but I'm like, yeah, he's he's definitely like controlling. You know, I I don't know if it's fear, but he's controlling something that's like a little bit of a of a dragon that's getting out of his out of his grip right there. Or at yeah. least at least that's the way it came across in the movie. That's really cool that you could actually see that. We yeah. we talked a lot about. Um, like in the editing process for between Brennan and Bobby, how that can be shown more that perspective in that context mm-hmm. of what I'm feeling. And it's really hard to capture that. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard for people to know how hard these things actually are, you know, but the climbing itself is maybe not that difficult, but it feels so insecure that you just end up gripping harder anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like, that's kind of why the, the link up is so much, so much harder than doing these things individually because you, again, you don't feel perfect ever. And my skin was just so thin because it was the end of a whole project week. I had right. done two full mock link up days and that was probably the most mileage I'd ever done in Bishop. And my skin was already about to bleed when I started mm. that day. So it was pretty right. gnarly. Like, it was just, it never felt good. And, you know, it never, at no point that day was all of the holds, all of the climbing felt probably the hardest version of any of those boulders I'd ever done. All the, the first times I'd done them felt way better. And when I was doing that that day, I was like, this is... <laughs> well i mean it it's from from my perspective because i have no idea how hard those things are you know i can only project beyond what i've climbed which is not nearly that hard but that makes me and i don't know the grades of them i don't have them written down i don't really care 
But to me, it's that mental thing of going again and again and again. And like the control or the the loops that you're running in your head to try to keep that all going or however it works is what's it's intangible. And, and like, we'll never know, like, there's no way, you know, you could write volumes on it and we'd still wouldn't understand, but it's, it's so fun for me to try to grasp it and what it would be like to be under something that difficult, that gassed and be like, <laughs> I'm going to still climb this thing. It's pretty fascinating. And, yeah. and I, I just, the one thing that's like, I won't say missing, but it's just not included in the film is like the what was the, I mean I can only imagine what these these this crew of people around you were like mm. trying to do like should we talk to them should we not talk to them should we all be really quiet you know and I I, I just like what was the atmosphere like was everybody just kind of like on pins and needles sort of thing it was really or, funny like the days leading up to it you know we had some awkward conversations um, people were like yeah what do you want and I was like okay so I've got some rules I've got I've got a couple of rules so for one. I don't want to talk about how I feel that day. So okay. it actually was a little bit awkward. You know, that that was my my big one. How rule. you feel? I, oh, no, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, that question's right. messed up, right? Because right. Inev- like my answer, if I actually internalize that and start thinking about it, would end up being negative. I feel like shit. Right? It's, it's not going to be positive, right? I would not want to say that. But in my mind, I'm trying to hype myself up and be like, nah, right. you feel good. Yeah. You feel good, right? But then if my friends ask, I'm gonna, not going to lie to them. I'm going to give them right. an honest answer. So I'm like, don't ask me how I'm feeling. Do not ask me about the day or, you know, unless I'm talking about it. If I'm like, yeah, it seems great. Like, oh, this seems messed up. Like whatever it is, then, you know, we can double on that. But do not ask me was, you know, a big rule of mine. And the second rule I had, these are the only two rules. The second rule was let's not celebrate. So from climb to climb, let's not celebrate. Let's not try to make each thing like its own thing. Let's try to make the whole day one thing. And I totally messed it up. Like after Ambrosia, I was so like, let's go, like, let's go, you know? And I just was like, gosh, I made a rule with my friends. Like, they're right. probably super awkward right now. They have no idea what to do. And they told me that afterward. They're like, dude, you were cheering, but like, none of us knew what to do. We also had a guy, a local uh, named Pete Hens, who was there and uh, he was like supporting. He's always been there every every year I've been in Bishop. And he ended up supporting that day and like came to Too Big to Flail and he was hyped that day. He was like, yeah. And like, he was the only guy cheering. And all my friends were like, shh, like, no, he doesn't want cheering. <laughs> and I was like, that's all good, dude. Like, it was actually right. such a significant difference from what I anticipated the day to be to what the day ended up being to, right. you know, I was like, no, it's going to be full focus, like just, you know, total chill vibes, you know, but focus and, you know, intensity, like whatever. And then I did Ambrosia and I was like, thank God I just did Ambrosia. Like, thank right. God I'm done. I'm committed to this one push and I'm doing it once. And I did too big to fail. Same exact thing. Like, thank God I did it. Like, I'm not doing that thing again. Like, thank God. So I was just so relieved and I allowed myself to live in those emotions of just being mm-hmm. relieved and happy. And it helped so much to just feel to the next one because I was just not stoked about going from one to the other. And I was like, well, at least let's just be relieved and then we can keep going. But yeah, that was that was kind of the the rules and then everything honestly chilled out after too big to flail we were all hanging out and talking a little bit more and it became better yeah yeah that's cool i mean i also enjoyed or appreciate the like the lack of like constant you know ground banter yeah. uh in the film and i don't know if that was something you chose aesthetically or you just don't want to hear people screaming uh you know venga and and come on and <laughs> You got it, dude. And fuck yeah. Fuck yeah is the one that's like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Everybody's like yelling, fuck yeah. I'm like, come on. You guys are trying to make art here. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It, I mean, it, it seems like with a highball, it's like a different vibe than than having someone older, over your shoulder on some 
you know, yeah. horribly hard thing screaming at in your ear. And, and maybe that's why it's relevant to talk about like some difficulty. Right. Like it's not like the style of these climbs is thrushy, hard dynamic sequences or whatever. It, it's actually right. mostly balancey, hard tension sequences. So mm-hmm. too big to flail is arguably the hardest mental highball there. I think Ambrosia has some harder moves on it, but too big to flail is just cruxy the whole way. And it's insecure. It's glassy. The style on it's not good. The holds are kind of facing the wrong way sometimes. And I would call that entire climb about 13D. I couldn't give it a boulder grade. It's, right. it's about 13D vert. Uh, so it's just that kind of insecure, full tension. Like there's no rest. It's pretty short for a 13D vert rope route anyway. Um, but it's so just like punchy and like tight the whole time. So it's not like you want that type of cheering anyway. You just want like, yeah, you got this. Like you're chill. Like it's good. Just trust it. Mm-hmm. And there's so many sequences where it's all kind of just body position and balance. And there's two really specific sequences on that climb. The first one being in the bottom and the second one being about halfway, about 30 feet, uh, where you kind of just trust. If, if I've had attempts where I feel really good and the feet just pick. And if you're, and people have had feet pick on those movements. So like if your foot picks on that second one, you're just tumbling sideways at 30 feet to the ground. So that's the one sequence you don't want to fall on. And that's the one where you just need to be absolutely focused. And that's the type of sequence that's kind of interesting for that difficulty. And Ambrosia is the same way where it's like maybe not, you know, the bottom boulder problem on Ambrosia's V11, and then it kind of eases out for the rest of it. It's about 12 plus for the entire climb afterward. But those sequences aren't that physically difficult. They're just not fun to climb without a rope. You know, it's it's not something that you feel good doing. Uh, so you kind of just want to get through it. And so again, it's not like, it's not like come on would be appropriate as a cheer thing anyway. You know, like if you knew what you were, if yeah. you knew what the climbing was like, you'd just be like, like breathe, you got this, like chill out. But even then I didn't want that type of language because I knew what I was doing. You know, like I knew, I knew what the focus was. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I always joke that like someone's like looking, has yelled at me like looking good, you know, on something <laughs> that I'm completely like flailing on. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> let's not lie to each other here. Like, I look terrible right I now. Love it. Like, chill out, you know. I mean, I know you're trying to encourage me, build me up, but let's just be honest. <laughs> so that'd be kind of like, yeah, chill out now. You're like, yeah, I know. I've done this before. <laughs> Thanks, though. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I, I love it. I mean, it's again, I'm I'm like peering into this world that that is uh, is a, a little bit opaque to me. But let me ask you a couple of questions about that. Sure. Um, again, these are dumb questions, uh, but this is not a bouldering podcast. Actually, there is a bouldering podcast now. Um, I think very bouldering specific. Um, finally, but anyhow, the mechanics of it. So when you're talking about working it, I mean, this is kind of old old uh, head point style, right? You're you're rehearsing on a rope as you're talking about i mean you know take like ambrosia like how many times would you do something like that um so it kind of depended uh from man this i would have given you a different answer if you asked me before i had done the 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 logistics because the logistics changed in the moment a lot because you know my anticipation for what i wanted to practice became very different as i was trying them i actually ended up trying ambrosia for that week on the last mock-up day so i actually never even pulled on because it's so sharp so right. if I pull onto Ambrosia on the bottom, the thing is that I'd already done all of these climbs before. So I knew mm-hmm. it was possible. Like I knew I was going to do it, but it was more about like getting a back into com- comfort and knowing mm-hmm. what I was doing. Um, so for something like footprints, that was really easy. You just go to the top um, on the down climb, you wrap down on your way down, you feel every hold, you look at every foothold. You try, I mean, for me, I just knew what all the sequences were roughly. Um, so I was like, okay, I just got to find all the holds and then do it a couple of times. Something like that, I could probably go up from the lip to the top once and then just do the bottom boulder and then just probably go for it because I already know what I'm doing. 
And also it's pretty easy. And then the bottom boulder, the thing is also none of these climbs except too big to flail. You couldn't do anything underneath the lip because they all kind of egg out. They're right. overhung and then they kind of get back to slab or vert. And uh, because of that, you can't actually try the entire climb in, you know, in one actual go on the rope. You couldn't do that on any of them. But that kind of sucked because that's the feeling I wanted to mimic uh, before on the rope before I actually went for it. So that week, I actually ended up doing a lot of ropeless attempts. I did Evolution Direct ropeless. I did Footprints ropeless probably four or five times. I did the Side of Paradise ropeless. I just didn't do Too Big to Flail and Ambrosia ropeless because I did, just didn't want to risk it. Uh, th- those are just too much of a gamble, I think. And so I did a lot of them ropeless a lot of times that mm-hmm. week. And um, so I did Footprints a bunch. And then I went to Evolution. And I kind of just wanted to make sure I could do the bottom boulder really easily. And then I just wanted to do the top boulder just to like get it done. And... Again, those are just well below my potential bouldering grade. So as long as I knew I could do them, it wasn't about that perfection. Now, doing harder sequences towards the top, towards like 35, 40, 45 feet on Ambrosia and Too Big to Flail, it was really important that those were absolutely perfect. And I knew exactly what could go wrong. So I spent a lot of time like purposefully trying to overgrip on sections, step on my feet a little bit harder to see if they would slip. Um, flex holds off the wall because ambrosia breaks constantly like it literally mm. broke a couple of weeks before i went onto it again like another crimp just broke off a little bit more and that was the scariest thing and i'll get to that but basically when i got to too big to flail too, that was my longest time i spent trying it before i went for the send so that trip that i did it two years before this project i i worked it for three days and it took me three days to send it on the top rope to actually send it on top rope i couldn't send it for the first two days and then I sent it on top rope. I did it two more times in a row that night. Then I took a rest day and I just did it the next day. So that's something a little bit more comfortable. I actually personally want it very fresh in my head. Like I want to mm. just do the prep and get straight to sending. I don't want to mm. let it kind of fester in my mind and come up with all of the possible bad situations, but kind of think about what all the good is and what do I focus on that can make it good. Again, this side of paradise was really, really hard to work. You can do the top slab and then the crux is at 20 feet. And you do this really, really hard dead point move to a vertical pinch. And that move is really hard to pull on on the rope. The The rope kind of pushes you away from the wall. For me, it's full span. So that was really hard to work. So I basically had to do that thing ground up to get the prep, which is kind of annoying. And then by the time I got to Ambrosia at the end of that week, again, I realized that some hole, a hold broke and then none of the chalk was on the wall. I had no, I kind of forgot what the best sequences were. So I actually had to do that one a couple more times. And again, my skin was really bad. I was really fatigued that day. So I was like, is this even going to feel the same as it's going to feel that day? Am I going to feel fresher? So I ended up changing it last minute. I didn't even try this, but last minute I changed the order of the climbs because I thought Ambrosia was going to be a little bit too hard to do at the end of my order. I ended up doing Ambrosia second instead of fourth. So I was going to do it at the end of the day before Evolution Direct, but just trying it at the end of that Friday I did it on, on Monday. I On that Friday, I was like, I don't think... I don't know. I, could, I don't think I could do this, you know, at the fourth climb of the day. So last minute, I just, you know, because I was trying it that day, I was like, I'm just going to change it to second. But yeah, the prep was totally different for that week than mm-hmm. my first time trying them. But the, the, the basic approach is you do the boulder as much as you can, because all of these high balls are really just boulders at the bottom, except too big to flail. Too big to flail is more of a free solo than any of these other climbs. But for high balling approaches, you do the boulder. And if as soon as you can do the boulder, you should just try the rest of it. And once you once you feel perfect on the rest of it, you can just link the two together. And then that's up to you. Honestly, I think anyone can do any of those high balls as long as they can do the moves, as long as they can do the whole climb, they should just be able to do it that first prep day and they just probably do it the next day. But most people probably just wait until they feel perfect. And I just don't do that. You mentioned falling, that in your head, you just, you just 
tell you're going to tell if you're going to die. But do people fall off of these things? I mean, from high up. Uh, so there's a little bit of history, I think. And have uh, you? I, I the, the biggest fallen I've taken was on this side of paradise on my first ground up attempt. I fell on the crux move and I fell 20 feet and it was pretty chill. And I haven't fallen anything above that. And I haven't taken okay. any worse falls. Right. So that was a really controlled fall. Also, if you fall at 20 feet and you land anything but on your feet, you could probably break something or like twist something or knock your head and get a concussion or something like it can be pretty bad. But people have taken bigger falls than that. Uh, so on too big to flail. I know a guy who broke his leg falling on that crux move that I was talking about. Um, and is trying it right now. Uh, he's, uh, I, his rope was the one that I was using that week. And this other guy, Nick Mulehausen, who sent Too Big to Flail, the try before he sent it, fell on that crux move as well, happened to land on his feet and walked away, which is pretty mind-blowing. His fall looked insane. And then another year, he actually fell on Ambrosia because he was trying to do it ground up, which is no prep. So he didn't. He he's not allowing himself to feel all the moves. He's trying to do it ground up. He fell on the top because it's... an it's a non down climbable section at the top, but it's very insecure if you don't know what you're doing. And he tried to down climb, fell, I think probably 40 feet and broke his back and was out for like a year. That's pretty much as bad of falls that I've seen in highballing right. in Bishop. Uh, people have taken a lot of like pretty bad diggers on the top of, uh, on the top out of evolution direct. But again, that's about 20 feet and you can control that fall. And uh, people are kind of more prepped for it, but I've heard of pretty bad free solo falls and pretty bad highball falls, but I have personally never taken a bad fall. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, you got the pads there, which are obviously important. Then uh, did you have any spotters? I can't even remember. And I've always, like, wondered what the spot – I guess the spotters do the same thing or do they yeah. all just scurry for cover, you know? Because, I mean, much. there's also Nina's video of too, too Big to Flail, you know, to kind of cross-reference as well. Yeah. And it's just – yeah, again, I'm, I'm – again, it's such a neophyte. I'm like, you know, okay, so what are they going to do? <laughs> yeah, I think you end up hurting your spotter more often right. than getting protected and it's not like i feel like if you are a high baller and you're gonna you know get on something that you may fall on you should just anticipate a bad fall and you should just kind of go for it and hope hope that you know how to fall and pay attention the problem is is that high ball falls are usually slips or like something just goes slightly wrong so you never really know how to anticipate that i think sure. but if you know as opposed to trying a boulder move that you know you're kind of jumping to and then you fall and you're like okay cool i can fall and i know i'm about to fall but high balling falls are like with a lot of tension, I think, usually. So that creates bad falls. So, you know, thinking about this and going back to the fact that you, you're you not like backer out there on a lonely desert mission, free soloing or whatever, you've, you're involving your friends, um, you're involving this crew. And, you know, I was thinking about like, well, you are sort of putting this responsibility on them, this possibility that they are going to be the one that's, you know, holding your C-spine and, 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 Nine one one ing and like dealing, you know, or like maybe you're bleeding all over the place, you know. It's like, do you, is that a, a thought you have, or you're just, you know, is it just one of those things where that's what friendship means in this in this world? <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting question that I don't think I can answer. Um, okay, I just have the reliance and the trust, and right. my friends have never said otherwise. You know, I, I always right. give them the opportunity to back out, and we had a conversation. It was funny because they told me about the conversation like afterward that they had, but it was the night before I left. So we were all staying at an Airbnb together in Mammoth. And then when uh, Michaela, my girlfriend, flew into town, we got a hotel closer to Bishop so we didn't have to do that drive. And just so we could be by ourselves and not in a house with nine dudes. But when we left, I was like, okay, so you guys figure out logistics. You guys figure out what's going to happen if something goes wrong. Um, and everyone was like, nope, we got the numbers. We're all good. And I was like, okay, cool. So like, I think we're all set. You know, as long as you guys have that conversation... 
I don't want to be a part of that conversation. I made that clear. I was like, I don't really want to talk about it. But these are, you know, Brennan especially is the one that I trust the most. He's probably the most scared out of all my friends, to be honest, but he's the one I trust the most when it comes to dealing. And, but we've always been like that. We've always done epic bouldering trips. We're always out, you know, two, three in the morning, night seshing. You know, something can always go wrong. We've carried out friends uh, who've sprained their ankles and busted, you know, heels and whatnot. So like, we're always there to epic and just deal. But at the same time, you know, I think this stuff's a little bit more real. And if I had just died right there, you know, and something happened, then I told them, you guys have a conversation about what happens and like, you guys figure it out and I trust you, you know, but if you don't want a part of this, don't come, you know, like it's, it's your choice. You don't have to be there because I know, I guess like my thing is I would do the same thing for them. You know, if any of them wanted, they said, Tim, like, I really want to do too big to flail, like, but I want your help. And I said, okay, cool. Like I'm uncomfortable being there. I'm uncomfortable watching, but I'll figure it out, man. Like you do your thing and I'm, I'm here to help you. And that's just that knowing that I could do it for them, them knowing that I would do it for them, I think just helps Mm -hmm. knowing that we can all just make it happen, you know, and, and when bad things happen, we'll deal with it then, but we don't have to talk about it necessarily. We don't have to anticipate it, you know, but just be ready for it. Yeah. I mean, that's completely normal in climbing, right? Mm -hmm. We all just like, it's not, it's not something that's going to happen to us anyway. So why would we even bother (laughs) talking about it? Right. So, I mean, I just also remember, you know, comparing it to free solo, you know, that was they, they kind of broke the fourth wall in that film, but I talked to these guys on their own about their nervousness around, you know, what they were doing and filming. And, you know, they featured it in the film with Mikey, you know, being on the ground. But I talked to those guys years before that about this whole idea of filming um, this sort of thing and, and what you're going to catch. But I don't know. It, it feels like, yeah, obviously there's no doubt what's going to happen to someone who falls off of El Cap after a couple yeah. hundred feet. Um, while, you know, even you're just saying that these people have, it's not necessarily instant death. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyhow, yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating. It was all something I was kind of like, um, playing these sort of mind games with myself about, you know, dealing with that, that kind of stuff. And my age is different. I I was a different person when I was as young as you guys are, um, as far as risk and all that sort of stuff is concerned. Totally. You know, the uh, this is kind of a classic and normal cast question with with these things where you have these these goals that consume your life to a certain extent, you know, are also can represent a pinnacle of challenge that you rise to. What about the aftermath? You know, what about like, oh, it's done. And, you know, I mean, I've literally talked to people who are like, yeah, I was depressed for months, you know, or whatever, like or I was like on, you know, Alex said he was I talked to him, you know six weeks after or something. And he said, yeah, I'm still super pumped about it. Like I'm still just like on about free you know, cloud nine or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's like, but they, I've seen it go both ways, you know, yeah. what, how, how, how are you feeling in the days and weeks after this Man, incredible that, output of energy? And, um, yeah. and again, this, these mental gymnastics that are like exhausting in their own way. Yeah, man. I, I don't know. I think I was going through a quite a <laughs> funk in my head. Um, I've always been a very bright, loud, you know, loudest guy in the room, just stoked, you know, like, um, I'm always there for it. And, uh, I got a lot quieter for sure. Like, you know, more in my own head about it during before afterward, I think in the last two years, I've definitely become a little bit more spaced out and, um, just more into honestly, just myself instead of looking at, you know, how to be somebody because growing up and climbing and, you know, the, the media culture growing up was very specific to me. And I, you know, it was, that was something that I was very tied into. And I, I very much wanted to be 
Instagram famous and like do cool things and like have people look at that and you know they're like yeah you're badass that's cool and then I do the most badass thing I've ever done and I'm like that was only for me like I didn't mm-hmm. want it for anything else and it kind of sucks that it became this huge thing to be honest with you you know but the feeling of <laughs> relief was no no I mean like obviously I this is bugging you about it cool. you're like god damn it I gotta fucking talk to that guy about this he doesn't well, even know about bouldering. <laughs> Well, like, this is actually the the, converse, the conversation that helps, you know, this is like oh, the, right. the afterward that like, right. you know, yeah, the, you're totally right. There is more depth to it than just rock climbing for me. You know, it isn't just mm-hmm. rock climbing. There's so much more behind the scenes as to why this happened in the first place. And all that stuff kind of came crashing down on me. I think like right when I topped out evolution, mm-hmm. just screamed relief, went to the top, jittered my way all the way to the top and just sat there for a couple of minutes. And it was freezing. And I was just like, like, just fear, pure relief you know, pure gratefulness. Just, I mean, my number one emotion was relief. Second emotion was gratefulness. And then the rest of it was just kind of like looking for more, you know, in inwards for myself, not for more as in like, what's my next project or whatever. That's actually probably the most annoying question I've gotten. It's sure. what's your next project? You know, it's okay, more wait, so let me like, cross that one off here. <laughs> <laughs> right. And again, I'm happy talking about that stuff, but that was, no, no. that was hard to talk about right after, you know, cause I'm like, right. I don't want to think about that stuff. You know, like I kind of have to sit here and reflect on why I just did that in the first place, you know, and like Mm -hmm. why it was cool for me. And, and it took me a long time because again, I told you in the last two years, I moved to Salt Lake city. I moved for this competition dream and to be on the U S team. And I, and I was on the U S team and I did competitions and I did stuff like that. And I did everything that I wanted to do, but none of it really mattered to me, you know, like none of that Mm -hmm. mattered, but this mattered the most. And I think, I think the reason why I got a little bit harder on myself, a little bit more depressed, a little bit more like just like, whoa, like heavy was more of the last two years in the project itself, you know, my lifestyle and what I applied my lifestyle towards. And I don't have any regrets or anything in that way, but it definitely wasn't the most meaningful thing to me to live my life in the last two years like I did. And this was the most meaningful thing to me. And just seeing this, experiencing it with my friends, you know, having my friends experience what they experienced and doing it all together, that was meaningful to me. That was everything. And I put so much weight and energy and importance on all these other things when this is the most important thing. So it took me a, a really long time to like even talk about climbing again uh, in, a, in a comfortable way. I actually got really emotional every time I did an interview or a podcast after. Uh, I'm so glad we waited three months after to, to do this because, you know, the first month, the first month after doing it, I mean, I went on mm-hmm. holiday trips, you know, went to my, my girlfriend's family and stuff. We you know, hung out, no climbing. Like I didn't climb more than three times for a month after the Bishop Project. And like, I just felt messed up. Like I just didn't really want to climb until I was like totally just happy and like chill again. Yeah, it's interesting that you asked that. I it, w- it was a total like chaotic aftermath in my head. It, it just couldn't, I couldn't really figure it out. Um, and especially talking about this stuff, reliving the experience without watching the movie again, without really like, you know, actually reliving it through watching something. It was hard to even remember what happened because it was so intense for me right. that day. I don't remember what happened other than all the little like crazy moments. So all the little snow flurries that happened, there were a couple, it snowed a couple times that day. And then um, kind of like the the insecure feelings on some of the routes. I remember very specific movements. I don't remember really anything else. So after all of that, people asking me, you know, all the stuff, I get more noticed than I ever have in my life after I've done this and Black Diamond posts and Instagram posts. People right. are asking me questions and I'm like, oh God, like I have, honestly have no idea, man. Like I, I really don't know what to tell you. Like it was great. It was fun. Like, thank you. Like, you know, <laughs> like I was stoked I did it, but, and I'm relieved, but at the same time, I have no idea who I am right now. You know, like it's just climbing means a lot to me and this type of climbing means a lot and I'm going to discover this for the rest of my life. Um, but for right now, you know, I just did the, a cool thing for me and like, that's it. Just wanted to leave it like that, you know? 
So are you the type of person that, that lets it brew inside? Are you, do you have confidants that you're very open with? I mean, you have, you know, a relatively long-term girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you talk about this stuff or yeah. are you more of like a, you know, stare um, at the moon, you know, stare I, at the ocean kind of dude? Damn, dude, right. It's like right when you ask me that question, I realize that I actually not, but you know, I think I talk about this stuff a lot, but I realize that I hold more inwards than, uh, I, I think I do. Um, mm -hmm. like literally just you asking me that, I'm like, well, I guess a lot of these deeper, darker things, um, don't really make that much sense into my head anyway. And you ask really good questions so I can actually talk about them. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, just that I, I do internalize a lot. I think, uh, that stuff is, you know, I take long showers, I just go on long drives and I think about the stuff forever, you know, but maybe because it is already calculated in my head, I feel not so much of a need to bring it up to people who are close to me. But I definitely have talked about it more with my girlfriend than I think I've ever talked about it with other people in general. Brennan, for one, has been really interested in asking me a lot of questions. And we've done a lot of interview. And we probably filmed like upwards of 8 to 10 hours of interview for something like this. <laughs> but never really used a lot That's of it, lot. you know. And it's a lot. Just We just talk, you know. It's just like, right. just turn the camera on. You just, you know, we right. just get deep. And like, why, yeah. you know. And it's a lot of stuff that you talked about and stuff that I shared. Um, but, you know. That's probably the most of it. it I think I go wow. a little bit too deep about the day itself. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not about the day itself. Maybe it's about me and, you know, whatever it was before. And I have no idea. You know, it's just I live life <laughs> and just, you know, absorb right. it and then reflect on it afterward. You. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, that's that's what happened. That's that's why I ended up being that way. You know, right. Well, let me tell you something about your um, relationship. She loves that, that you talk to her about it. So just keep doing uh. that. Um, <laughs> so, I will. Thanks, Chris. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, a little bit of, of age wisdom there. But yeah, it, you know, and I, I, this is my game, you know, this is the normal cast. This is what I do. But I, it was just so much of what I thought of when, when, we, when you did it. And, and like, you know, I think we want to, like, well, the, the narrative of like you triumphed and, and, you know, you're on cloud nine and everything's great and you, you achieved your goal and planted your flag and, you know, we all praised you and it was all great is, is, you know, the easy narrative, but climbing isn't actually really like that or else it'd be super boring. You know, you just won the football game or you just, you know, scored the winning basket or whatever. So yeah, it's really interesting to talk to you and, and to hear these few threads uh, about that because I, like I said, I just was like, who is that kid? Like, why did he do that? Like why, you know, it's just so cool. And, um, you know, you talked a little bit about your mom climbing and having that moment when you climbed, I think, footprints or whatever, mm -hmm. under like getting a little glimpse of what that meant. Are you still have a climbing relationship with her as she's still still doing it and and what do you think she's gonna think when she sees this yeah. film <laughs> she's a my mom is a total badass like she okay she cool. in she still lives in the bay area she climbs probably more than i do uh trains more than i do and she coaches as well she's super into okay, it cool. she's fit you know has got young energy i actually ended up taking her to bishop for the first time i think three years ago and she just loved it and i remember it was so funny we pulled up to the grandpa peabody which is the first boulder you see in the buttermilks and that's where evolution direct is ambrosia like all of it right. and she was like oh my god like people do those i was like mom i've done these <laughs> these are the pictures <laughs> you've seen man like what the hell and she didn't know she's like what like oh my god it's crazy and she's you well, know they don't wild, look like, they they don't they don't look i mean they they're so much bigger and more impressive in person yeah even with even with a, a climber projected on them in a in a yeah. film or whatever, yeah. So I, I get I get it. Yeah, yeah. For it's sure. an epic feel for sure. 
Right. And, yeah. And, and she, I mean, so after that footprints thing, you know, she kind of just sat me down. She was like, you know, can I just ask you like why you did that? And I was like, you know, for the first time, the answer I gave her then was, you know, I looked at the climb and I just know it. I knew it needed to be done by me. You know, I just, I needed, I needed to do it. It's just something that I needed to do. And she was like, oh, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. Cool. That's a good enough answer. She was like, cool. I'm never going to ask you about this stuff again. You can tell me, you can show pictures or whatever, but good luck. You know, and that's, that was mm-hmm. kind of the conversation we had. We were really close growing up the whole time. And she was very supportive of me. She had a lot of expectations and, you know, standards. Um, and just, you know, I think just how she grew up, she moved, immigrated, you know, worked her jobs when she was 14 all the way until she had to raise up money, send her parents from Korea to, you know, Alaska. That's where, that's where I was born. And she just grinded and worked her ass off to mm-hmm. just make things mm-hmm. work. She's been a pastor for a long time. She's a youth pastor right now. She's been a missionary pastor for a long time. So she just grinded, worked, traveled, like did a bunch of stuff just for her. You know, it's not like being a pastor makes money, but stuff just like made sense to her. So it was nice to like have that mindset shared with my mom and just, you know, talk about it. And, you know, we don't talk about it much uh, because I think it just doesn't really make that much sense to her. doesn't, you know, like it doesn't mean the same thing as it does to me, um, but she respects it and supports it. And that's kind of the conversation we had and just keeps going. And and then she saw videos and pictures of other stuff. She's like, you crazy man, like, you know, glad you didn't die or whatever. And this time I actually invited her to uh, that day that I was going to do it. I was like, hey, if you can come, like, that'd be cool if you were just there that day. And she was like, I don't really want to, I don't really want to cry. I don't really want to like be there. And she was like, but I'll, you know, support watch afterward. Uh, and she was down to come, but it was on a Sunday and again, she's a pastor. So she can't miss church. And, uh, but I invited her to watch the premiere that we're going to do in April, uh, mm-hmm. here in Salt Lake city. So we're going to watch together. Um, she's going to be an emotional wreck, I'm sure, but yeah, she's, yeah, for she's, sure. she's fully in support of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, she, I'm sure she wouldn't be like happy if I got hurt or died, you know, but, uh, support <laughs> and, yeah, you know, support not. for me and respect, right. I think is the right. biggest thing to her. And I, I, I love her for that. That's, you know, the, the greatest gift I think I could have gotten from her. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty amazing. I mean, th- that you invited, invited her. I was like, God damn, <laughs> I, I mean, I'd never want my mom watching me climb almost period, unless it was like five, eight or something, like, <laughs> <laughs> but she has no, my, my mom has no like connection to it. She right. Right. Yeah. Gonna, that's actually maybe better. Like, mm, you know, mm. um, in some ways than, than totally. someone who's in it enough to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. And, and is, did you grow up with a religious background? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up Christian, you know, with, right. you know, the whole, the whole time I was always in church. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think when I moved to Salt Lake city, I just stopped going to church, but my mom literally okay. texts me all the time, just like checks my spirituality. And I'm like, I ah, don't go to church, mom. I'm sorry. You know, but I'm still a spiritual person. Like, you know, it matters right. to me. Like, right. you know, it all just, you know, it's all just, there's meaning in life for me and you know, whatever, whatever it's called but I just keep going, you know. Have you, have you, have you played the, the, um, you know, Bishop is my church mom card? <laughs> no, she'd kill me, man. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Cause that's, that's pretty common. Like, no, the outdoors are my church, bro. Um, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> you know better, I guess. I, well, I've um, actually told her yeah. like multiple times. Right. I'm like, Bishop is where I feel the most connected to my, right. you know, if this is my understanding of it, this is where I feel the mm-hmm. most spiritual, you know, right, I feel the right. happiest and the most in tune with myself. And, like that's where it makes the most sense. So maybe I'm not going to church all the time, but I'm going somewhere that I work on it, right. you know, somewhere I can think about it and reflect on it. And that's what matters, isn't it? Like going to church every day, if I'm not focused sure. on it or care about it is way worse than going one place a year if I think about it a lot there, you know? 
you got a shout out in the the previous uh, uh, you know drunken taps edition for having like jumped into 514 by doing a 14d or cd or i don't know we won't quibble over it, but it was really hard you skipped you skipped 14a and and jumped past that but you know obviously it just reminds me that you're this is not your only thing you know and and in, in climbing and you're a competition climber um and you know you came to rifle and crushed and um so yeah well, tell me a little bit about your other interests and goals in climbing uh with a rope on or or um are you still competing what's what's going on outside of this this very you know specific realm of this project that we've been talking about for a long time so literally in the last like week i made a decision to pull out of every usac comp this year so i'm not going to go for nationals or team trials or whatever i team trials just happened i didn't do it Mm -hmm. and um specifically to train so in the last two or three years i feel like i haven't really had a serious amount of time that let myself train Com- competing is so brutal you you, you never get a window of right. time where you can actually develop yourself as a climber you're just performing right and climbing is an interesting sport anyway where it's performance based we always go to the gym we perform we, we try to send roots we try to send boulders we go outside we just perform right but we're never really working on ourselves consistently as much as we are performing and because i'm a coach i try to pay attention to coaching and climbing development in that way you know develop apply and perform in that order and so for me personally i'm always performing and i can't mimic the things that I coach. So I wanted to just do that. So I'm taking a step back this year, doing a lot of training um, and going to start trying harder routes. Really want to start trying stuff like Jumbo Love or just maybe harder than that and just go around, you know, explore hard execution, you know, just same as Batgirls Club, to be honest, and and hard boulders as well. Uh, so just kind of pushing my possible capacity and seeing how hard I can climb um, and just doing that for a good while, but also wanted to spend some more specific time establishing. I've just done a lot of repeating. And even this one project that mm-hmm. I've done, the one offering in Bishop is a repeat of a bunch of boulders that have already been done. And uh, right. there's actually one highball project that I wanted to do in Bishop um, that uh, we were supposed to go starting tomorrow, actually go back to Bishop, but it snowed out like crazy. So I won't be able to go, but that would probably be like my one FA in Bishop. Um, but I wanted to go establish, just go check out other areas, go highball a lot and just check out, you know, what highballing feels like in other places. Cause I just haven't done it otherwise, other than in Bishop, mm-hmm. it's just a place that mm-hmm. I trust my climbing a lot more and just feel like I understand that. But other than that, creating media, man, like, I mean, I, I care a lot about, you know, this behind the scenes stuff, just like you do instruction for me is huge in climbing and, uh, creating a place to provide instruction for climbers. It's, it's not that common that instruction exists in climbing. Most people don't go to climbing gyms and actually learn how to rock climb. So, you know, providing online content, easily access content for people to learn how to rock climb is something that I'm interested in creating over the next couple of years as well. But in the meantime of developing myself and performing as well, of course. Who's your, um, like, who's your guy? Like, who's your guy or girl, your inspiration? Like, who's, who either lived the life or, or is doing it the way you kind of want to do it? Man, everybody, everybody I've ever looked up to in life, you know, whether from any sports, music, you know, business, right. anybody, anybody who's successful is, is, is my guy, is my girl, you know, but, but also me, you know, the person that I want to be, you know, years from now, I've heard that quote many times, you know, your, your hero should be the person you in five years, you in 10 years. And that, right. that truly right. is for me, but also my mom, you know, my girlfriend, yep. uh, super inspiring people in my life and the guy that I work on our company with test piece is this guy named Josh Horsley, who I met when I climbed about V3, maybe V2. And we've been in touch ever since for the last 10 years. And we started a company together. It's what I coach on. It's what I podcast on. Uh, him and I podcast every week. And uh, it's where we try to cre- just create free instruction for people. It's just, you know, try to dig deep on climbing and just 
you know, provide some insight and perspective from, you know, people who are doing it at a high level. So that's something that I've been interested in for a really long time and will be interested in for a long time. Well, I was thinking too about, um, you know, influence and, you know, you're, you're a sponsored climber now, which means you're going to have more influence. Um, well, at least, I mean, you've been probably sponsored to a certain extent, but this is probably a, a mm-hmm. level up to be on the BD team and you've got a coaching program. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but it's funny because I was, you know, when the, the free solo thing came out and, you know, I'm comparing this film you've made to free totally. solo. I, it's like probably a silly comparison, but you know, it's a free solo. So we're, we're talking about kind of that, that mental game of, of how to climb like that. And everybody was like, well, this is going to encourage everyone to like, you know, go and climb El Cap, which was absurd. And as climbers, we knew that that was just like absurd. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, there's going to be like bros lining up the, at the base of the free rider <laughs> or the um, free blast to solo El Cap. No, it's not going to happen. Um, but I, but in, in a lot of ways, I feel like that actually could, you know, this, these sort of highball things, you know, there's such this, I don't know, there's sort of this, uh, you mentioned like how tight the community is, how like, community is so important to bouldering and i think that you know there there is a lot of that like i get psyched because i watched this video and i saw yeah. this thing and you're you're in this this i think this generation you know too that it's all about like getting amped up watching videos all night long and stuff like that so yeah. i mean what would you say to that 13 year old kid that's like in bishop for the first time and it's just like got his jaw open and you know and you know what he's thinking yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you're not going to crush his dreams, but, uh, yeah. yeah. What do you say? Well, so yeah, I've thought about that a lot. I mean, I've been, uh, I've been coaching since I was 17. So I feel like I've been sure. a leadership figure since then. But even before that, with a lot of my friends, I felt like a leadership figure because I was kind of front heading all the training and all the trips and stuff. And, um, stuff just made sense to me in that way. I just wanted to go forward and, you know, mm-hmm. everyone followed and that's just how it worked. And so now influence is definitely different. You know, like the stuff that you do has more, uh, association to who you are and that became kind of interesting to me to be like well eyeballing isn't who i am you know it's just how i express the things that make sense to me that's kind of the advice that i give is like well what's important is work ethic and focus and going for something that you care about and caring about something and for me highballing is what that is so if if highballing is that for you which for most people it's not i guarantee right. you the vast majority of people who've pulled onto a highball are like nope not for me instantly mm-hmm. right like instantly you're like nope not for me and for me, it was right away. It was exactly what I right. wanted to do. I was scared right away, but it was exactly what I wanted to do. And I think as long as you pay attention, you just pay attention, you're aware of what matters to you and you keep doubling down on that over and over and over again, you just keep doing it, then that's you're going to be successful. That's how you define your own success. So yeah, to young kids, and I coach a lot of younger kids and not super younger kids nowadays, but I coach one younger kid. And, and we talk about stuff like that, you know, and, and I talk to their parents, like, you know, whatever it is. And I'm sure their parents look at me like they're like, idiots coaching my kid but like he's strong and experienced like but so he's helpful but also like i don't want him to influence or whatever and it's nice to have conversations with parents too who have like a totally different perspective and just share exactly what i just said like it matters to me you know that's what matters to me and i want to do it you know but i don't expect and and if it happens to be that way then that's dope that's awesome it matters to them you know and like that's cool and there what's interesting is looking back at it yeah i'm i'm by far the youngest highballer that's doing it you know, at a high level right now, there are pe- people who are doing it regularly are much older than me. And I'm not young by any means anymore. There's people in climbing who are super strong at like 16 years old, who are just breaking, you know, records and doing whatever, sending V16 and or winning World Cups at like 16 years old. 
And so those guys can go out and do crazy stunts outside. I just don't think that many of the young ones are going to do it. I know one younger guy who's like getting into high balling and is doing pretty hard stuff, but he's got a great head on his shoulders and, you know, pays attention and is just aware and loves it, you know, and that's the only important thing. And if anything, yeah, I would just maybe even like be in Bishop. If I saw somebody else doing it, just like want to have a conversation with them. You know, I'm just interested. I'm just like you. I'm interested why people do it the way they do it anyway, you know, because I don't think my approach to highballing is the same as anyone else's approach either. Right. You know? Like we do the same yeah. thing, but it's a different, it's a different behind the scenes. It's a different brain, you know, it's a different soul. Yeah. It just made me think about when you were talking about how younger kids don't want to do it. it like the crash, the freaking yeah. car crash, man. Yeah. Like for sure that like all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, but he, he grew up like he smashed his innocence or whatever you want to say. I mean, if you want to go like literary, right? Yeah, man. Um, you know, you saw it, you saw death, you saw the end, you saw like the possibilities oh, yeah. and uh yeah so it's it's that's really a key thing that you know back to the beginning of the podcast you're yeah. right like yeah it it changed you know maybe yeah maybe you did you would have seen it later or something like yeah. that or some of these you know i don't the, know it's literal it's value the words value right. and success and failure changed after right. that day all of that changed right. you know for the rest of my life and it was meaningful to me more and more every day i thought about those words value and success and failure you know like what well, why why would i do something you know and what right. what does it mean you know to other people success and failure and what does it mean to me and those those were as long as i defined those and clarified them to myself and lived every day like that then anything would work out you know so highballing <laughs> it worked out <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Tim for doing that. If you want to check out his professional angle, his coaching, his podcast, his other media, you can find all of that at testpiececlimbing.com. You can get in touch with him over there as well. Or check him out on Instagram at Tim. You might have to change that, Tim. You're a professional now. Anyhow. Great weather here in Colorado this week. Got the first shots fired as far as outdoor climbing this spring. It was lovely. I enjoyed it so much. I soaked it in. You forget after a while just how great it is to climb when it's warm outside. Anyway, hope you guys are getting some too. And of course, checking your knots.